Welcome back to Gaming with Gage, your podcast for role-playing games and the periphery. Thanks for being here. I wanted to take a brief moment to thank Shane Hensley, president of Pinnacle Entertainment Group and creator of Savage Worlds. So those of you may know, he was on episode three. If you haven't checked that out, please do. And they were nice enough to include us in their weekly newsletter, which brought a lot of new listeners, and we're happy you guys are here. Welcome. This week, we're going to jump back into our topic episodes with, our, with my friend and our guest, Josh Sabrava. We're going to be covering magic in your game, and we're not going to be looking at crunchy mechanic bits. No, we're going to be looking at how magic affects your story. For Game Masters, we're going to look at adversaries and how to handle the magic level of your players. For players, we're going to look at interesting story elements that you can use your own agency to create. Reach out to us, guys, about these topic episodes. I want to make sure that these are doing good things for you and helping your game. This show, as I've said many times, is for you. You can click the link in the show notes to go to our website and send us an email through there. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook. We're always there. If these things are doing great for you, great. If there's topics you guys want covered, great. We'll do those. And if not, maybe we go over into an interview-only show. It's really based on what you guys are interested in. And with all that out of the way, let's jump in to episode six, Magic in Your Game. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. You doing good? Yeah. You want to talk about magic? Of course I want to talk about magic. Do kids like candy? Kids <laughs> love candy. All right, so let's talk a little bit about magic. You are usually, I would say, the resident magic caster when we make a party. Yes, I, I love magic. It, for me, it's like cheat codes to the game. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite parts about the system because I sit back as a wizard steepling my fingers thinking about the perfect way to use this spell to best thwart the DM and his plans. Absolutely. And now different systems have different magic and we're going to go into that a little bit. We're not going to get into the crunch like, what are the best wizard spells in first yeah, edition? Yeah, yeah. How many, how many D6s can I roll for this fireball if I cast it at sixth level? No, no, yeah. we're not doing that. What's the best trapping for bolts in Savage Worlds? Like, we're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about more about how this affects everything narratively. Like, if you're playing a character who is a magic user, that should shape the world for yeah. them. And if you are a game master who is running in a magic system of any degree that should definitely shape the world. And that's... Absolutely. As, yeah, as a player and as a dungeon master, one of the first questions you have to ask yourself is, why magic? Uh, why not magic should be the, the, the better question. And the reason, the reason not to have magic is because some settings, it does not fit the narrative. Uh, you want characters you know, fighting magic. You want characters... Uh, to just be dwarfed by magic in some settings where it's this fantastic thing that's kind of just out of their reach. It, it, it's not really available to them or it just does not exist at all. Just no magic whatsoever in this setting. It just not, don't be afraid to make that decision. Just no magic, no magic. Everything is mundane weapons. And you know, whether it's a high technology game and you're using laser weapons or it's a modern technology, like we play with ETU where it's, this is the first time that I'm not playing a primary caster. I've gone out of my way to, to not be that role. And it's, 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 granted some great role-playing situations where yeah. I'm, I have to figure out how to, 
how to fit, like get through this situation as a muggle or a normie. And it just, it, it definitely makes it a little bit more challenging. And that, and, and East Texas University specifically is a low magic setting. Very low. D&D, high magic. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, like no magic settings. Can you think of one just pop up? Uh, your head? GURPS is a great mechanic for uh, the real nitty gritty, no magic setting where it's, you know, guns and swords and machetes and whatever else you can come across. And you can, you can do that in Savage Worlds too, if you choose. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're creating a game, is that really how you think about it? You're just like, why not magic? So you always do a high magic setting. I don't always do high magic uh, because the implications of it, but when it comes to settings that where it lends itself really well to magic, I, I prefer it. Uh, but yes, I, I usually default to why not? There's why not have magic? Uh, and most of the time, I find myself thinking there's there's no really there's no reason not to have magic. Uh, you can you can adjust it, you can change it, you can you can shape it however you want. But that's I I don't have magic in my real life. I can't go into a dark room and snap my fingers and conjure a little ball of light. And that's a huge disappointment for me in real life. <laughs> it kind of is terrible. One of the major reasons why I got into Dungeons and Dragons because I've always wanted to play a wizard, someone who uses their smarts and pours through books and learns how to shape the world around them using their their magic. You know, whether it's casting you know light spells or using wind out of nowhere to dry your laundry really quick before work. Like yeah. magic is is like cheat codes to the world. So I w- I would admit that I'm not a big fan of no magic because, like you said. The part of this game is getting into the fantasy, and I know some people probably play really hardcore. Um, Warhammer. Well, Warhammer has magic, doesn't it? I've never played Warhammer, so I think it Warhammer. Just, has it seems magic. like a very low magic setting with Space Marines, but I'm not entirely sure. I think you're confusing gritty and crunchy. <laughs> um, but I find myself drawn to super low magic. East Texas University is low yeah. magic. When I ran uh, our D&D 3.5 campaign, I created a world in which all of the magic was kept in one centralized location. Yeah, and if you want to be a magic user, I, I told everyone, if you want to be a magic user, you you be a magic user. However. Yeah, you're hunted. Uh, you're persecuted constantly. Uh, it, it was almost like the Sith, not quite as evil, but it was either you're with us or you're against us. Yes. And me playing a, a sorcerer in that campaign, I was constantly had to be aware of if, you know, if I just start throwing magic around, I'm going to get the attention of someone whose attention I don't want. And with that character, the repression, which I, I'm also, I'm pro sorcerer, you're pro wizard, but your character was a sorcerer. And what, because I told you like, there's no way that you have training. Yeah. There's I, no way you can yeah. be a wizard, but your character was repressing and repressing the magic because you had a sister and you would have been torn apart from your sister and sent to the centralized location. And mm-hmm. so the magic came out in interesting ways. And that, yeah, that for me, I like, wanted it to. Yeah. Or like you would just punch somebody. And then when that, that was how you were able to use uh, like different spells was like through hitting people. Now, a lot of touch magic. I get worried with high magic. I think sometimes the fact that there's magic everywhere 
kind of ruins it for me. Yeah, there's a there's a number of ways where you can subvert challenges that are put in front of you by, you know, casting a, a, a spell that's... You, you want to sneak into this building. If someone can cast invisibility, it kind of makes, or pass without a trace or whatever kind of spell you're using, it makes it very difficult for the DM to throw challenges at you because it's just a great, like I said, it's cheat codes. Cheat codes the game. Well, and and I guess in part of, probably part of why I'm so into low magic is I always feel like, what does it cost you? Now in D&D, you're playing a wizard, you're playing a sorcerer. That is what you do. And I get that. I just don't like it. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's the thing is like, well, what does it cost a fighter to swing a sword? I, I get it. I understand. Well, it costs them hit points because they're so close to the monster. Yeah. That, well, I use spell slots. It's like, okay, but spell slots are just there so you can continue. Yeah, mechanically, what, that's a fun one is mechanically, what are those spell slots implying? You what can't are, eat them. You can't eat spell slots. You can't, they don't sustain you. So what are you losing? Like when I, as a human and on earth, you can go on about my day. When I want to put a day's worth of labor in, I'm using my blood, my toil, my, and my sweat. It's just pouring out of me, and by the end of the day, I'm tired. So you have to think about magic along that same line. There has to be rules. There, it has to be bounded. You don't want to end up like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings where you always have the spell. No and it's just Yeah, there's no cost to him, and he was just overpowered, and therefore there's no, there's no challenge, there's no consequence, there's no story progression or character growth if there's no cost for your magic. So what, what are you sacrificing? Uh, you could live in a set in a, for low magic. One of the great things that you could impl- in put in place is anytime a character studies magic, it could cost them their vision. It could cost them their sanity, their sanity is a great one. If anybody's seen Mr. Strange and Dr. Norrell, like he, drove himself insane so he could get to this new place to this new level of magic it's a great one you end up with a character who's you know twitchy and paranoid and kind of always looking over their shoulder and seeing things that aren't there necessarily or they are we just can't perceive them yeah and then you also uh specifically with that you're dealing with the fae so that's something that I, I really like. So with a wizard, it's like, where is your magic coming from? It comes from study. Yeah. But in different systems, there's different ways that you can get magic. Yeah. Uh, specifically, uh, your cleric, and your, I know you love talking about clerics. We're going to get to that, people. Yeah, you're we're going to do it as an entire cleric episode because you're doing it wrong. You're all, yeah, you have to do it more like Gage. Uh, he's one of my favorite clerics to watch in action. Uh, but yeah, where your magic comes from. A warlock and a, and a cleric are very similar in the fact that they have a patron who lends them magic, but they both manifest themselves in very different ways. Whereas a warlock is throwing fire and eldritch blasting and, you know, all these different things. The cleric is, you know, dishing out the smite and healing his, uh, his companions and, uh, basically drawing his, his magic from some divine source. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing, different settings because we, we, we end up talking a lot about D and D at Savage Worlds because that's what we play the most. But if you're in different settings, maybe you're also getting magic from a, a an elder God is a, is a big uh, thing in a lot of role-playing games like Call of Cthulhu and stuff. Where is this power coming from is one of the best questions you can ask as a DM. First and foremost, if you're a game master and you're building a world or you're choosing a system or a setting, where the power comes from because it will change the way even warlocks if you have three different warlocks in D&D 5th edition there is a very very big difference between an arc fey and an arc fiend and those warlocks are should look different 
it, yeah. it should be influencing the way they are. I mean, I had a, a, an Arcfey uh, bound warlock, and he, for the most part, was just very flippant and careless and didn't care. He was more aloof than evil. Um, maybe the cost and where this magic coming from is inside you. You know, blood. I love a system that it's like, as you are casting spells, you are losing parts of yourself. Yeah. And you have a finite number of days left in you. Or the idea that every time I, uh, you, you mentioned the, the arc demon or the, the, the devil or even the great old one with, uh, with the Cthulhu mythos and the Lovecraftian horror, you know, picture in front of your eyes. Maybe the cost for magic for you is that it's slowly changing your appearance. My younger brother uh, played a draconic sorcerer, and the higher level and the more times he casted spells, the more he took on the aspect of a gold dragon. Started off with subtle facial features, but by the end of the game, once they at eighth level, I think that game ran to, he was covered in scales, his wings were starting to sprout, he had a short prehensile tail, and he became this otherworldly-looking being, and then it suddenly becomes less, he was a character with, he's a sorcerer, so he has a high charisma, and it became less about his high charisma and more about he was this oddity that people were very interested in. Still super charismatic. And uh, uh, this boisterous, gregarious type character, but it, that's one of the things that you can think of as a cost, is it's literally costing you your body. Your, your humanity. Your humanity. You're, you're no longer... A human, as everyone else knows, you become this dragonborn type uh, creature. And players think about this, and you can have the conversation with your DM. If you're a wizard and you think about the way scholars are in our actual world, they don't share research. Until they can publicize it and get the fame, they don't want no, anyone to know. Yeah. So if you spent all this time, like you didn't learn Fireball off a scroll. Maybe someone didn't teach it to you. Maybe your practice and your knowledge, you figured out a way to fling fire. And also, definitely the way you describe it, make it unique. This is something that your character has created from the ether. But every time that you do that, you run the risk. What if someone sees what you did? What if someone figures out how to do what you did? What if you are giving away secrets that you've spent your life trying to develop? Yeah, and then does uh, it matter? On the other hand, uh, with the 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 whole idea of a scholar, some some of the intellectuals like to work together. So uh, you can go that route where magic items and magic in general spells are something that's traded almost as a commodity. Uh, everyone, everyone wants to be able to change the world and shape it to their, their whim. So if you have this really great spell, maybe it's something that you can sell that knowledge or trade that knowledge for, for political favors. Maybe the idea of being like, you are a bard and you can cast vicious mockery and a Lord catches wind of that. And maybe that's something they want you to teach them or else like, (laughs) even if they can't learn it. Yeah, even if they can't learn it, they want you to, like, and then you have a direction for your campaign, you have direction for your character, and it could suddenly becomes, like, maybe you chose the Orels, and now you're running from that same magistrate, because no is not something that this lord is used to hearing. And, and, and these are just different ideas that, as a player, that you can make these classes more interesting. And whatever game you're playing, you know, if anything that you have a patron, 
uh, taking care of you? Like, what? how does that affect me? Do I start to become more like them? Am I stealing power from a creature that doesn't know me? And every time I cast a spell, I'm risking more and more of their attention. Yeah. That's a great one. That is fantastic. The idea of like, stealing magic from cthulhu and he doesn't quite realize it like because it's such sleeping, a yeah. it's like such a small pinprick of annoyance but once you get to the point where you're casting fourth fifth level six level spells now you you've got his attention he you have made it obvious that you are stealing from an eldritch horror so yeah now cthulhu's looking at you yeah now is... you have cthulhu's attention and you, this is when the idea of like you're you're risking your madness because sure you want answers i'm gonna give you all the answers. That's why the Lovecrafting stuff is it's it's things that men should not know. Yeah, there's just stuff that you you shouldn't peek behind the veil because it's more dangerous than beneficial. And if you're playing just a straight caster, there's there's so much stuff that you can do with it. And I, I think part of my problem with magic is so often it is I am the person in this party who casts magic. I can do de- damage. I can do wondrous things. We'll never have to worry about a place to sleep. Like whatever it is. And it's all focused on what it gives you. And as I've said before, I think on our player, uh, talking about how to be a role player, your limitations are what's interesting. They Mm -hmm. are always what's interesting. I can cast Fireball, but I can't get a date. Because every time I try to talk to someone, I'm socially awkward because I don't have Mm -hmm. a high charisma or whatever the skill is. And also, I've tried to use magic as like, hey, look at me and the power I have. But magic... magic isn't what this random barmaid has seen before. And so instead of like bringing in people close, maybe they start treating you like the other, like a, like, like an intimidator. Yeah. And they start saying like, look, we don't want any trouble, but you need to go. What if everyone hates you? What if everyone's afraid of you? Like with Caleb, uh, was a, a character with no magic who hated magic, who saw it as the, the crux of the earth and it brought on the apocalypse and then there were characters in the party who were magic, who were aware of his feelings towards magic. So we spent a number of, of levels with the, with the other players hiding it from him and trying to go out of their way to make sure that he didn't get word of it because he's the rogue and he can sneak attack. And do. And I had made a reputation at that point of, of just murdering. Yes, he, he did Not murder like a, a lot. murder hobo, but just like a, there's a couple options for this problem and one of them is just to kill the guy. Yeah. And there was always some quippy one-liners that followed. It was is a fantastic character. He ended up being the god of death. Yeah. <laughs> uh, later on, yeah, demigod of death. The first, the first uh, bit of ma- uh, godlike magic, and the gods starting to hold sway in our world, Earth, in a modern magical apocalypse. Which is also a great thing if you're playing a system that allows you to multi-class, and you decide to come into magic later. It should terrify you. Yes, it should. Yeah, it should be accidental at first. It should be a reflex like Harry Potter in the first book. It's not something you're doing on purpose, but it is something that's happening. And the implications of it, looking back and trying to figure out where it's coming from, whether or not you can control it, because that that would be scary if one day you accidentally set your kitchen on fire from just the tips of your fingers. Mm-hmm. And you take these ideas and you put them into your, your character and all of a sudden your character becomes much more interesting. Cause to be honest, there's nothing interesting about walking up and solving every problem. There's nothing interesting about it. Mm-mm. And if every single time you go into combat, you know, the big joke, uh, which is the thing is it's like, uh, fighters because eventually the wizard will need an audience 
you know, when the, yeah. when the Wizards get to high level. It's like, there's nothing interesting about that. But what if you start giving yourself problems? They're not mechanics. They're not from the system. You know, they're not wounds in Savage Worlds or, or, yeah. or um, I forget what they're called in D&T when you can, like, have, like, a, a, ba- a bad leg and stuff like that. Yeah, hindrances. Hindrances. Like, you're not having these problems mechanically put on. But what if you say, like... You know, in the beginning, I like much like the the way we live in this world, where you 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 hit you know fifteen, sixteen, you feel invincible. Your body's the best it's ever been, and all of a sudden you hit thirty or forty, and it's like the body starts saying like, "Oh no, actually, I re- I remember that time you sprained your ankle. I remember that time you hurt yourself." And your body starts to have all these these creaks. So like, what if level one, your wizards out there casting light and bolt and stuff like that, and just going around having a gay old time with no cost and it's like this is amazing and then they get up to the point where they're starting to cast their fourth or fifth level spells and every single time they do it they they feel faint they feel short of breath they feel like they're going to pass unconscious what if all of a sudden you've dedicated your life towards this entire goal and you realize it's the thing that's going to kill you that's interesting yeah definitely a very interesting uh way to take take the magic (laughs) well and also i lost my train of thought that's okay I wanted to take for the game masters out there who are who are coming in. How do you use magic in your adversaries? I think in the game, uh, in the kids game that we ran, which by the way, if you haven't run a game for children, you you need to do it. Everything they say is gold. Just keep saying yes because it doesn't actually matter. And that game, we all had magic powers and we all had dragons and we went back and forth between realms in our world. And someone was the son of the guy who owns Google. It was amazing. Play a kids game. Yeah. But our enemy in that, um, I forget his name. He had the mask. Wrath. Yeah. He was dope when it came to magic. He was much better than anyone else in the party Mm -hmm. levels ahead. So when you're crafting an adversarial character or an archvillain and you're going, oh, there's magic that's going to be in there. Obviously, there's the, the standard holdouts. Like, okay, there's a lich. Everyone's... You know, everyone's favorite. Okay, at the end of this, there's going to be a lich. But what are interesting ways to make it feel like you know that tightrope you kind of have to walk where it's like this person, we are so going to die, but maybe we'll get him too. Uh, the the best way to play uh, like a villain as a high-level wizard that I think is that they're so arrogant and they're so supercilious that they don't feel compelled to just crush you when you're fourth level. They have this in their head that they can crush you at any point. And then once you get to the end of that campaign setting and you fight the, the, this high level wizard and you're finally on par with him, you're the party can finally, you know, come to blows with him and not just be immediately killed, like killed off. You get this whole realization that man, if I would have killed them, I would have gotten away with it. If it weren't for you stinking kids type situation, uh, it it's really fun. It's really exciting, and kind of so kind of like an Emperor Palpatine type. Thing, yeah, exactly. Where he sits in the chair, sits in the chair, never tries to actually kill Luke. Yeah, he could have the entire time. He could have just stood up and been like, "Vader, go to your corner. I'm gonna kill this kid." No, he was so confident and so super so supercilious that he could subvert the way Luke's was thinking and you know conform him to the dark side that. Uh, he just, you know, sat back and was arrogant with his power, and then that was ultimately his undoing. It's a great arc for any campaign. Like, you're peons now, but one day we're going to make you sad. Uh, and now what about if your 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 big bad doesn't have magic and the party does? Oh, there's a number of things that you can do. Uh, 
Because if if it's a high fantasy setting, if everyone has magic, then everyone has magic. So he can he can pick up magic items. He can go out and find his he can find his own party of adventurers. They may not be as high of a level as the actual party, but he can find uh, other adventurers who are going to help him as mercenaries. Uh, there's anti magic zones. There's there's other magic items. There's there's like parapets of health where. It's actually a, an amulet. When you take damage, it immediately heals you without any cooldown time for what fifty hit points. There's there's numbers of a number of ways, and ultimately casters are squishy. So if you have a whole party of magic users, he just has to get in their face, and then minions, all the minions, <laughs> like just send a horde. Just yeah, send a horde of zombies or a horde of skeletons or a horde of you know mercenaries and sell swords right in the party's face, knock as much off of their spell slots off the list so when they finally do get to your villain who doesn't have magic, they don't either, except for maybe a couple cantrips. Like, make getting to the villain difficult. Always have a number of minions, you know, working for his for him, you know, like actually enacting his will. Because he never really even has... You don't even have to see your villain's face until the very end and they finally have a face to point at and be like, you... <laughs> so I guess I don't know. I'm I'm still not convinced. I'm still a fan of low magic. I I know. I'm I'm never going to convince you because you just don't see magic in the wide-eyed wonder that I have. It's it's a huge huge thing in all my games. I tr- I've run s- settings where it's super super high fantasy where like Gage said every character was hatching their own personal dragon who was going to run around and you know they were jumping from different planes of existence uh it's just the way to go or or not go go no magic and make your characters and your players really struggle to get what they want done because they can't just snap their finger and solve the problem with a level three spell or uh, I'm a big fan of ritualistic magic. We we got to it in East Texas University. They have ritual rules in Dungeons and Dragons as well. Like mm-hmm. a lot of systems do. Um, it's pretty awesome because you can handle stuff like somebody's down and they need health, but you can't do it in combat. That's the beauty of it. Keeping combat immediate uh, and kind of removing that from the toolbox all of a sudden it becomes, well, we need to do more prep work. We need to plan more. Um, how do you feel about techno magic? Oh, man. So uh, you have settings like uh, Savage Worlds can pretty much be used for anything your heart desires. That's one of my favorite parts about this. Uh, the mechanics is that it's just so open-ended. And then you have stuff like uh, Shadowrun, where you have these characters in a magic setting, high fantasy, as well as high technology, there's a bound to be a character who kind of blends that line like a technomancer who can come and go from the matrix as they please, who can affect the technology that's around him at will. They can, they can invade a security camera that's two, three blocks away. It, it's a super cool concept. It's a great idea. Whoever was the first person who was like, technology and magic need to be this one thing and there's there's fun ways to do it where you kind of the technomancer becomes you could make them slapstick for a serious like black mirrored glasses type character you can make them slapstick where they're sending emojis instantaneously with a thought to their other characters cell phones and the other characters computers 
And someone like they just sit in the corner all dark and solemn and quiet. But every once in a while, you get that laughing, crying emoji that pops up all over your screen because someone said something silly that he thought was funny, but he didn't actually laugh out loud. It because was, yeah. yeah, that's just his thing. He, uh, he, he operates in a, this, this limbo between magic and technology. It's super cool. I just, I wanted to make sure we touched on that because if we did, uh, a session about magic and uh, an episode about magic and didn't talk about Technomagic. Yeah, Technomancers uh, are pretty much the reason why I want to play a Shadowrun game so much. It's because somebody... You just he, like characters with goggles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And augmented reality and all the things. Just a character who can lay in the front seat, like in the driver's seat of a van with his eyes closed, like slumped, like he's sleeping, but he's actually driving the van, adjusting the radio, opening the doors. Like, so the, you know, your sort samurai, your street samurai can pop out and just start gunning people down. Like it, it lends so much to that setting. Uh, the Technomancers, great way to go. If you ever play Shadowrun, make sure you have a Technomancer in your group. <laughs> yeah, just definitely. I've I've never played it, um, but yes, I agree with that thought. Any closing thoughts on magic? Uh, yes, closing thoughts on magic. For the role playing aspect, make sure you think about where your magic comes from. Always think about the cost to your character, the thing that you're sacrificing, whether it's friends, whether it's family, whether it's blood, whether it's your toil or your physical appearance or your sanity. Think about where that magic comes from and make sure it's apparent in the role playing without coming out and saying, every time I cast magic, my character looks a little bit more like a devil. No. Over a couple sessions, like sprout horns, become more like a tiefling and start to look like this this patron that's giving you magic. Or while they're shaving in the morning, they also take a file to their horns. Yeah. Like think about characters like Hellboy. Hellboy, his magic comes from this this horrible abyss like like hellscape, and it it affects his appearance very highly, uh, and that could be your cause. Is now that you you look like this monster, you can't come back out into the real world. Yeah, and I would second that. I think about the costs. Think about what magic can't do. Think about where magic fails you, because if m- magic is the answer to it can't be the answer to every problem. It may be the answer to most of your problems. But in those places where magic fails your character, those are the interesting stories. Those are the things people are going to want And it allows hear. the other party members to shine when, they, when, when the wizard and the cleric and your arcane trickster can't ca- cast magic for whatever reason. Then all of a sudden that fighter because, becomes so relevant mm-hmm. to the encounter that now this player who thought there was the backseat and the audience to the wizard is now this super awesome main character who is absolutely necessary. And also, fun fact, fighters, if you find yourself in that position, feel free to cut their head off while they're sleeping. They're probably a greater threat to the world than they are a boon. Yes, facts. <laughs> Thank you so much. All for wizards coming. have to sleep. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Josh. Thanks for having me again, of course. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Gaming with Gage. I hope you were able to get a lot out of the topic in using magic in your game. Please let us know. You can always reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We love hearing from you. And we'd also love to hear some feedback about maybe upcoming topics that you want to hear. Next week, we will be having Paolo Kiroson, host and GM of the Film Reroll podcast. And if you're not already listening to them, I honestly don't know what you're doing. They take the movies we all love, build out the characters in GURPS, and then re-roll them to see if it happens the same way we saw on the screen. 
It was a great conversation. I got so much out of it, and I really love his show. Lastly, I just wanted to take a moment to all of you out there who don't understand how DJ knew the plans. Go back and rewatch the scene when Poe is talking to Finn in the shuttle. You'll see what I'm talking about. And for all of you there at home, thank you. <laughs>